Greetings, everyone. Welcome to History Factory Plugged In, the podcast at the nexus of history and business. I'm Jason Dressel, and thanks for tuning in. We've got a lot to cover today. We're going to talk a little bit about Madam C.J. Walker in honor of Black History Month. We have a mystery product, and we'll talk about the history of the leap year, uh, this year being a leap year. And uh, this week, uh, we also have a new segment we're going to introduce called Origin Story, where we learn about a company or brand. Some of these will be household names and others that you may be less familiar with. But nonetheless, all of these are leading companies and brands in their industry. And hopefully, Origin Story will provide you with some new insights about companies and brands you already know and introduce you to some new ones. But first, I wanted to go back to a recurring theme we have here, and that, of course, is our love for fast food fried chicken. And uh, if you listen to our episode on Valentine's Day, we had some fun talking about uh, KFC, which has a, a history of, of jumping on to the Valentine's Day holiday for their marketing. And I did get a kick out of some of the new things that KFC has been doing from a marketing perspective. Uh, they launched a new partnership uh, with Crocs, uh, the shoe, um, which uh, included uh, the shoe being unveiled out of a deep fryer uh, with tongs. Uh, so we may come back and talk a little bit more about that one day. Um, but what I really wanted to focus on in, in terms of KFC was uh, their new Valentine's Day cards that they unveiled uh, for the, the Valentine's Day holiday over the last couple of weeks. Um, really good stuff. Uh, I'm regretting that I wasn't able to get one of these for my wife for Valentine's Day. They had some scratch and sniff uh, Valentine's Day cards. They had one that says, life with you is all gravy. They had another one, your finger looking good. They had another one, I love you almost more than a bucket of chicken. Uh, and then tonight, the chicken comes first. So uh, I'll leave it there on KFC, but congratulations to KFC for another great uh, Valentine's Day uh, marketing uh, uh, push. And uh, with that, we'll move on uh, to our mystery, our mystery uh, product of the day. And uh, this car outsold the Ford Model T and became the best-selling car in the U.S. on February 17, 1972. And we'll get back to that in a little bit uh, with the big reveal on this car, an iconic car, uh, that outsold the Ford Model T uh, back in February of 1972 to become the best-selling car in U.S. history. So let's now go to our, our origin story company of the day. And our inaugural company is a big one. Uh, they are, uh, in fact, the world's largest uh, professional services firm. Uh, and we're going to learn more today about Deloitte. And if you work in, in a corporate environment, chances are you know Deloitte. If you work for a Fortune 500, chances are pretty high that your company engages Deloitte or has engaged Deloitte in some capacity in the past or will be doing so at some point in the future. Uh, Deloitte, as I mentioned, they're the largest professional service firm in the world with over 300,000 employees. They're ranked number one uh, in the world by cons for consulting services by Gartner. And this year, Deloitte turns 175 years. 
So without further preamble, let's talk to our friend Joseph Harrison to learn more about the Deloitte story. Joseph is the Associate Director of Brand Identity on the Global Brand Team. He's also an integral player on the firm's 175th anniversary team. And as you'll hear, he is very passionate about the firm's heritage. So let's hear from Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Welcome to History Factory Plugged In. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for uh, being part of our inaugural origin story segment. And uh, as I was as I was telling you before we uh, we jumped on with uh, uh, an official recording uh, when we saw each other the other day, I was saying how um, we have a, another client who, uh, when I was getting a tour on their executive floor a couple of years ago, uh, they walked by this large conference area and then said, and that's just that's where the Deloitte team sits. They basically just run our company. Um, and uh, as I said in sort of the uh, the, the pre-introduction of describing uh, Deloitte, uh, Deloitte, of course, is the largest professional services firm in the world. Um, so maybe first, Joseph, just uh, share for our readers just kind of the elevator pitch on, on what Deloitte is. Sure. So, uh, you know, many people know Deloitte for different things, uh, as we'll talk about in a little bit as far as their origin story. Um, a lot of uh, what people immediately think about is audit and tax, which are two big, big areas of business, obviously, that, uh, that we work, on, work in. But uh, we're a lot more than that. As you said, uh, we're the largest professional services firm in the world. Uh, we're also the, uh, the most valuable professional services brand in the world. Just got named that two years in a row. And, uh, and so what is exactly that means is you know, we provide audit, tax, uh, uh, consulting, financial advisory, and risk advisory. Those are the kind of our, our core five businesses. Uh, but uh, it's so broad, and there's so many different things that we do. I mean, any, any professional service that you can think of, most likely we're doing that somewhere within within Deloitte and somewhere within our Deloitte ecosystem around the world. Yeah. And and in addition to those accolades, uh, you mentioned, of course, you also have the 175-year accolade or milestone this year. So happy happy anniversary! Uh, and I know you. that uh, you've been very involved in that in that project. Um, so, what is kind of the origin story? I know Deloitte, uh, the Deloitte history goes back uh, 175 years, but uh, I don't believe the, the firm even uh, started its presence in the U.S. until the late uh, 19th century. Um, but how did the firm start 175 years ago, and how did it evolve into becoming uh, a firm here in the States as well as other places around the world? The birth of Deloitte really equates to the birth of professional accounting in a lot of ways. So um, what I mean by that, so uh, Deloitte, the, our, the name of our brand and our firm, is uh, comes back goes back to William Welch Deloitte. He was an accountant in London, uh, born in 1818, and like many folks of his age at the time, uh, was very young when he started working and um, uh, began uh, working for uh, an accountant in, in London, uh, the offices of Edward Edwards, and um, who was an official assignee of the bankruptcy court. And after working with him for, for a number of years, he decided to open his own 
business. He gained a lot of experience in, in, in working in that office and, uh, and made a good impression and just got a lot of referrals and decided to strike out on his own. And so uh, on April 23rd, 1845, uh, he began work as an independent accountant uh, in London and um, just down the street from the company he used to work for. Uh, and and was uh, right near the bank, bankruptcy court, which was very important because that was a large percentage of the business at the time. So accountants back then in the mid-19th century were not very highly regarded uh, because it was mostly dependent on bankruptcy work. Uh, we had There were some accountants who, who did real estate or valuations or auctions and things like that, but but insolvency, unfortunately, was, was the chief livelihood of, of many accountants. But Deloitte uh, really kind of changed things. Uh, it was a time, uh, at the time, it was an auspicious time for uh, a young accountant like him. Uh, the British economy was expanding, and, uh, and there, so that meant that there were a lot of people with financial difficulties, so some of that work that he was used to doing was, was there. But he also uh, he also engaged in really more substantial matters that maybe were not as as well known for accountants to be involved in things like um, you know working on the first transatlantic telegraph cable. But the real expansion, I think, where the trajectory started for for Deloitte was in 1849 when he was named accountant to the Great Western Railway. And, um, and that happened because the company stock value was faltering and things were not going well. And it was, he was brought in to inspire confidence in the railroad's management. And so by doing so, uh, William Deloitte, William Watch Deloitte was the first independent accountant to a public company. And so we think about accountants today, and uh, you know, it just feels like natural that that, that audit and accounting um, is, is something that, that happens all the time in terms of, uh, even in terms of independent accounting coming in. And so uh, that that's started it all. And um, he used that appointment to win more business and to, to in, in all these growing industries in, in, in England, uh, docks, ironworks, hotels, banks, uh, insurance companies, and, and then even other railways as well. I think by the end of his career, when he retired in 1897, um, a year before his death, he, he was practicing up until that point. Uh, he was considered the oldest practice, practicing account, accountant living and uh, they called him the grand old man of the profession. So, um, yeah. so he, he, I, you know, he, that's where our origins came from. That's when someone sees Deloitte, uh, oftentimes they don't know it's a real person. You know, they may think it's like a, a name created like Google or something like that. But, but right. it, this is a story of a man who had a vision and who, uh, who started a company and a business that has grown into the 300,000-plus uh, professionals uh, company that we have today. Um, so, well, so and, it, and it sounds like yeah. and it sounds like Deloitte himself was really a, a Michael Jordan of 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 the profession <laughs> of of the nineteenth century. Yeah, you know, I think I think he he was. I mean, I I I, I like to imagine that a lot of the the other accountants in London at the time looked to him. To, to, to kind of set the, set the bar, set the standard. You know, pe- the, I, I like to imagine that people wanted to be, uh, be either work for Deloitte or, or be like Deloitte. Um, and and I, I, I think that, that those values that he instilled in his firm at the time, I think have lived on today. And we, you know, we've, we've uh, purposely 
organized our, our anniversary program around our five global shared values and found ways to tell stories, even stories of William Lloyd himself, that, uh, that illustrate the values that, we've, that we focus on today. William Deloitte was the beginning of it all. And, um, and so, so that was, that's the Deloitte origin. And you, you asked about how then we uh, got the start in, in the U.S. When we say Deloitte is 175 years old, um, obviously William Deloitte opened his office in 1845, but so much has happened over those 175 years um, that has included many different other founders and companies that have merged and joined and, and become the organization we are today. And so the, the, the origins and the roots in the U.S. are, are exactly one of those stories. So the U.S. Uh, in the late 1800s, um, origin came, comes through two men named Charles Haskins and Elijah Sells. And uh, Haskins and Sells were both uh, accountants um, in their own right, prior to meeting, but they, they met as part of the Dockery Commission, which was uh, a, a government commission uh, to reform the administration and um, the application of business principles. And so it was, it was I think, one of the first times that, um, that independent accountants or auditors or others came in and made recommendations for improvement to things like the government's record-keeping systems. And, um, and, and so Haskins and Sells, met during, as part of that commission, and um, they, they actually had some amazing results. They, I think they saved something like $600,000 annually of the government, and one of the things that they recommended to Congress, for example, was that they switch from handwriting correspondence to typing it. Uh, so there were lots of really interesting things that came out of the Dockery Commission, but, um, but one of the, the biggest things for us, at least from our heritage, is that Haskins met cells, and they decided to open their own accounting firm, and they opened that in New York in, in 1895. And, um, and because of the success of the Dockery Commission, they, they were quite successful even um, coming out right out, um, attracting government clients, uh, which was a, a, a big positive. I think one of their first was the U.S. Post Office and, um, and others like the cities of Brooklyn, Chicago, um, and the governments of Cuba and the Philippines. And so they, uh, they, they, they found a lot of success uh, from the get-go. I, uh, I think at the time Deloitte, so the company that William Deloitte opened, um, had offices or had, had accountants and, and business in the U.S. But when we think about the U.S. firm and we think about Deloitte in the U.S., uh, a, a lot of that origin comes from the Haskins and Sells history. Yeah. How did Deloitte, and for that matter, how did the other accounting firms, you know, the, you know, the, obviously there was the, the big eight that then became the big five and the big four, you know, the, the industry, like all industries, has, has been all about consolidation, as you referenced. But one of the things I've always been struck by is how the industry at large, and especially uh, a firm like Deloitte, really broadened those services from traditional accounting to management consulting and now technology. And of course, now Deloitte's doing a lot with Deloitte Digital. How, how, what's kind of your perspective on how that transformation started and why it started? I think a lot of it boils down to um, our commitment to, to client service and meeting the needs of our clients. When, when new 
uh, new areas of business or new areas of focus uh, arise. I think that one of the things, at least from our, the firms that, that have come together over the years to become Delo- today's Deloitte, I think have, have been very future-focused and forward-thinking as far as what, what are those needs and how do we need to rise to meet them. But I think the biggest has been about evolution. Um, you know, the willingness and the foresight, again, to evolve as needs of businesses grow. You know, and that evolution both happens organically within an organization, but I think it also show, uh, shows itself through acquisitions, combinations. You know, as we've uh, – I just mentioned the, 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 the Haskins and Sells and, and um, Tushross merger, seeing what the needs of our clients were calling for. And in that particular case, a lot of it was driven because clients were becoming more global and they were needing um, to, to be served by firms that had a, a, a lot more of a global reach and had, um, had a lot more capabilities in that sense. So, uh, so I think evolution is key. I think innovation uh, and forward thinking. But, but from a Deloitte-specific perspective, I think the reason why my, my feeling personally is that a lot of it boils down to um, our people um, our values, our uh, you know, it's always been a, a focus on talent and integrity, and um, and ultimately that commitment to client service that has has really yeah. made it successful. Yeah, it's al- it's always struck me because in the work we've done across different professional professional service sectors, you know, real estate, investment banking, you know, law firms or public relations firms, it just seems like there's something about accounting firms that have seemingly made them more sort of <laughs> it may sound counterintuitive, but entrepreneurial in that way. Um, of how they had broadened their services over the course of the 20th century. Um, But it's always struck me as interesting that they seemingly became more diversified while still maintaining their core of accounting expertise, as opposed to when you think about, you know, old line, big, you know, AMLAW 100 law firms, they're still law firms, you know, you don't, you still think of them as, as that as, as as law firms, so I don't know. Right, it's interesting though. Yeah. So, what from your perspective is, is there anything that uh, that, that you that, that you or, or you and your colleagues at, at Deloitte feel are is kind of a common misperception of the perception of Deloitte by by folks in the marketplace? I've been at Deloitte almost eighteen years, and when I first joined, um, you know, I, I would be at a, a family gathering or a cocktail party or something, and someone say, who do you work for? I say, I, be, I work for Deloitte. And they say, oh, uh, do you do taxes? Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, are you an auditor? And I'm like, no. Uh, and we work more than that. And so I, I think that, that is, that's always hard to break. But I think the more and more we are recognized as that broader professional services firm. And I think today that's not necessarily as, uh, as much of an issue because there's so many yeah. of those things like you're talking about, Deloitte Digital yeah. and, and our consulting our, you know, our consulting business is, is, is so big and so um, impactful. And, and I think that um, I think that that's become less and less of, of, a, of, a, of a challenge. But, um, but I do think that there, now it's become um, more of a, a brand recognition in terms of some of the things that we do want to, to be more known for because you have to kind of fight against that uh, in the marketplace a little bit. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's gotten a lot better, I think, over the last few years as people have a, a, a different understanding of uh, what it is, is uh, what Deloitte is. 
Yeah. Well, I, from from just my own um, experience, I, I don't think of it as an accounting firm first anymore at all. I just think of it as consulting. And, and you know, if I was playing like one word association, I'd probably instantly connect Deloitte now to the customer experience because that's so prevalent right. and Deloitte's doing so much of that work, you know. Yeah. Um, well, and I think it's interesting, uh, you know, you, you have that experience and then you ask, uh, you know, if you win and ask one of our um, our our digital transformation clients or or you know human capital consulting clients you know everyone derives yeah. what Deloitte means to them from the way that they interact and engage sure. and and they all could be right you know they're all part of who we are so if you could tell one story about Deloitte if you were in a bar and you could tell one story what would it be of, of all the stories you've learned over the last couple of years of working for the 175th what would be the one story you would tell. Um, I think I probably would cheat and have two, but they're all about the same person. So uh, the, the first story that we surfaced, which was really amazing, was um, the story of how Elijah Sells at the 1915 meeting of the New York State Society of, of CPAs um, developed and proposed a 19-point plan for international peace. Yeah. So um, if you think about this, this is you know right right in the time frame leading up to World War One and uh, obviously before uh, World War Two, and and his boldest idea in there was the establishment of an international peacekeeping tribunal with its own military. And so, um, uh, you know, we, we 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 can't prove that there's attribution to League, like the League of Nations, for example, but yeah. we do know that um, Elijah Sell sent his plan to the president um, at the time and later. President Wilson's plan for the League of Nations and the United Nations brought that idea to life in a, in a way. So um, huh. that was kind of amazing to me, even, even, even if there is not a direct correlation, just the fact that um, at the time, Elijah Sells, who was you know, head of, of Haskins, uh, co-founder co, co of Haskins Sells, was thinking about the, the, uh, the importance of humanity and, and of, of peace as far as um, the, the world. And um, we like to think today, and Deloitte um, today is, is very focused on making an impact that matters to our communities. And we have uh, a lot of amazing programs, including our, our, world, our world-class um, commitment to improve 50 million futures by 2030. And you know, it's just been such a part of our DNA for so many years. And to be able to look back and realize that you know, this could even go back as far as, as um, our, our founders of thinking about more than just profit and about more than just business. So that was yeah. the first. Um, the second well, that, is also and that, well, and I was yeah, say that that's yeah. also interesting too because again, it sort of underscores what we were talking about a minute ago about sort of the broader sort of thinking of of accountants because when you think about the yeah. accounting profession and discipline, that's not a story that you would necessarily um, think would come up, right? But, but the second story, which is a lot, I think a lot more fun, uh, but also was, was a fascinating one, was um, uh, Elijah Sells uh, really encouraged uh, his employees to, uh, to, to kind of not only focus on work, but to, 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 to have fun as well. And um, he sponsored and even played for the firm's, first, for the firm's baseball team uh, in their inaugural season in 1907. Uh, and and he even commissioned a, a book be written about the exploits uh, exploits of the um, of the team. So uh, we ha- we found a copy of that in the in the archives, and um, and it's fascinating. But 
But what's really funny about that story is, uh, you know, sells the team that, that uh, from from the, the firm uh, got to be too good. They would go out to Sells Farm in upstate New York, and they would play the farmhands, and that's how you know that's where they who they would play against, and they would just beat them so you know every time, and they started to get uh, get a little cocky about it and get a, a, a big head about being so good, and so Sells um, secretly hired several ringers from the New York Giants um, and brought them up to his farm, dressed them as farmhands, and then, um, and then brought the, his team up, and they beat them 17 to 12, uh, and the, the farmhands beat Sell's team 17 to 12. So he did that to keep them humble and, uh, and to make sure that, um, that, uh, that, they, that, that they didn't get too big ahead about um, <laughs> about. That's amazing. Well, that's still amazing and, and, that they did that well against some of the professional players. Yeah, well, yeah, no. So, so yeah, and um, so, so I, I just thought that was a really nice, and interesting story because it illustrated not just the business side of of work, um, which we always, uh, even today, you know, try to to focus on um, the, the well rounded, you know, well being of our employees, et cetera. But it's just, I just thought it was funny that he. Uh, He's like, okay, I got to do something about this. They're getting too, they're getting too, too, too cocky about being good at baseball. I'll, I'll show them. I'll keep, I'll knock them down a pick. That's awesome. So. And you can only imagine the uh, the the energy that must have uh, been behind uh, the team secretly uh, planning planning that endeavor. That's uh, that's awesome. <laughs> it would be great to see the letters back and forth back in that day of uh, of making the arrangements to make that happen. <laughs> Yes, well, but I don't think we have those, but we do have that book, and the book is kind of fascinating, too, because one of the most interesting things from, as a a brand leader um, at Deloitte, I I found this fascinating, is um, because you didn't have, like, photography that could be taken live, you know, you you couldn't do live shots of of people playing, so they actually brought um, an illustrator, and so they have, like, a two-page fold of the cartoons that this illustrator drew of what was happening in the game. So it was like, here's, here's this player sliding into third, and here's you know, that, these illustrations that he was basically sitting in the stands drawing uh, while the game, game took place. So it's, it's such a, a, a cool piece of history and a cool, cool piece of our, you know, period, but also a cool piece of uh, our Deloitte history as well. That's awesome. So, uh, so if you could, uh, if you had to dress up as a Deloitte historical figure for Halloween, would you be a cells in a baseball uniform, or would something else catch your fancy? No, I, I. That's an easy one because I would be William Watch Deloitte. Um, partly because uh, I, 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 I've actually been thought about that a little bit, not for Halloween because I think people would probably give me confused looks when I if I rang the doorbell, but um, or at a Halloween party, but. Um, but no, we, as we've been talking about plans, one of you know, as you, as one does with some of these uh, creative brainstorms, uh, I think at one point we said, oh, we, you know, we should get somebody to dress up like William Lloyd and do a hologram or something. And I said, oh, because I have an acting background in, oh. uh, in the theater, and I was like, oh, I, I totally want to do that. So if we do that, I've already put a stake in the ground and said. Uh, uh, I won't do that, but but what's interesting about it is we only have one known. There's only one known photo of William Watch Deloitte, and happens to be um, late in his life, so he's older, 
very large, bushy, white beard. Um, but what, is, what stands out is the flower in his lapel. And what we've learned from the research is that he wore a fresh flower in his lapel every day. There's even a quote, and I, and, um, I, I don't recall exactly what it is, but a quote where someone said something about um, that he must, he must keep his gardener on his toes or something to that effect where, you know, commenting that because he had a fresh flower in his lapel every day. And so, um, so I think that there's that, those signature elements of that photo, which has become so iconic within, uh, within our work so far because, because it is the only one that we know of, of him. Uh, but it, it, I think that would be fun to dress in the Victorian garb uh, with the large beard and the signature flower on my lapel. Yeah, very, uh, very botanical. I like it. That's a dapper, yeah. a dapper, a dapper little element there. So, yeah. well, let's leave it there, Joseph. Thank you so much for joining the pod and for uh, giving us a little bit of the background story of Deloitte. Uh, congratulations to you and the team for the 175th, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks to Joseph for sharing those insights about Deloitte, uh, an amazing story, and we're so grateful to have been able to have had Deloitte as our inaugural origin story. And now I want to transition to the story of a company and a woman whose products have been brought back to the market and date back to the early 20th century. Madam C.J. Walker was one of the first African-American millionaires in the U.S., in the late 19th century and early 20th century, there was a tremendous amount of entrepreneurialism among the African-American community uh, as they uh, worked to, to lift themselves out of the era of slavery and obviously were still fighting against uh, uh, society and laws that were really stacked against them. And thousands of black-owned businesses were launched uh, in that late uh, 18th century uh, and early 20th century era. And perhaps one day we should just do a pod on on that subject alone. Um, but one of the more famous ones uh, is Madam C.J. Walker, who started a hair business. Uh, the hair business uh, then, as as is, as in now in many respects, was a a low cop a low capital startup. And in Walker's case, uh, she created a product that met the needs of African Americans, which white businesses were slower to meet, uh, which is in many cases probably still true today. Walker was born on a cotton plantation in 1867 to recently freed slaves, and she had had a challenging life, but her fortune started to change in her mid-30s when she discovered the Great Wonderful Hair Grower, which was a product by Annie Tumbo, who was later named Annie Malone. And uh, Annie Malone had become one of the country's first black millionaires by developing this hair-straightening product. And C.J. Walker went from using the product to selling it to then developing her own. And by 1908, she opened a factory and a beauty school in Pittsburgh. And by 1910, the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company had profits that were the modern-day equivalent of several million dollars. The C.J. Walker brand was relaunched in 2016, and you can find the hair products with Walker's name at Sephora. So speaking of products, let's go back to our mystery product. On February 17th, 1972, Volkswagen Beetle surpassed the Model T as becoming the top-selling car in the history of the United States. 
the iconic Model T, which had been in production from 1908 to 1927, um, had sold over 15 million cars in its history, but eventually this was surpassed by the Volkswagen Beetle. The history of the VW uh, Beetle dates back to 1930s Germany, when in 1933, Hitler uh, wanted to build new roads and affordable cars for the German people. Uh, Volkswagen was actually, the, the translation of Volkswagen is the people's car, and Hitler's plan was that people could buy the car by making regular payments into a savings stamp program. And in 1938, work began on the Volkswagen factory located near uh, present-day Wolfsburg, Germany. Uh, but full-scale production didn't begin until after World War II. And when the Volkswagen arrived in the U.S. in the 1950s, as you might imagine, the initial reaction uh, was somewhat tepid uh, and due, due in part to the car's uh, origins and connections with Nazi Germany. But in 1959, uh, the advertising agency Doyle Dane Birnbach launched a campaign that promoted the car's small size as a distinct advantage to consumers. And along with being rebranded as the Beetle, over the next several years, uh, VW became the top-selling auto import in the U.S. In 1998, of course, Volkswagen began selling the highly touted New Beetle while still continuing production of its predecessor, and after more than 60 years and over 21 million vehicles produced, the last original Beetle rolled off the line in Puebla, Mexico on July 30th, 2003. So before we conclude, let's talk a little bit about a leap year and leap day. Uh, this year, of course, is a leap year, and February 29th, we'll have our uh, leap day. And put simply, uh, these additional 24 hours are put into the calendar to ensure that the calendar stays in line with the Earth's movement around the sun. Um, while our modern calendar contains 365 days, the actual time that it takes for Earth to orbit the star is slightly uh, longer. So this difference might seem negligible, but over decades and centuries, this missing uh, quarter of a day per year uh, can really add up. And one of the interesting things to think about then is how that is taken into uh, consideration from an economic uh, perspective. The official uh, GDP, for instance, uh, is not officially adjusted. The U.S. government does not adjust necessarily for uh, this, this day, even though there's actual true growth that happens on leap day, um, which is kind of an interesting consideration that not every government agency makes an adjustment taking this time into consideration. A spokesman uh, for the Bureau of Labor Statistics, for instance, said that it makes no leap day adjustment to the monthly jobs report, and the Bureau doesn't adjust for the extra day because the experts don't know the extent of the shift. They know it moves the needle, they just can't figure out how much. Um, so for many emerging markets, such as China, uh, they don't make any adjustment at all to their G GDP numbers. And that's one reason why China's 2013 growth number fell short of estimates, having a day fewer than it did in 2012. Kind of an interesting uh, thing to think about. There have incidentally been several proposals and petitions to make February 29th a national holiday. Part of the reasoning is because some people feel that they are unfairly working that day and not getting paid. And others have suggested that a national holiday would be a bigger benefit to the economy uh, business and total spending could benefit. People went out and did other new and interesting things to spend money, like Memorial Day or, or July 4th. So um, 
I guess for this year, uh, enjoy your leap day. Uh, if it's your birthday, happy leap day birthday. A shout out to my friend, Annalisa, uh, one of my best friends who's a leap day baby. Uh, your chances of being bored on leap day, incidentally, are one in 1,500. And there are only about 187,000 people in the U.S. who have a leap day birthday. So happy Leap Day. Uh, Thanks again to Joseph Harrison from Deloitte for joining us today, and we'll talk soon. I'm Jason Dressel. Thanks for listening in to History Factory Plugged In. 